You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Just this week, I texted Christophe in a sort of moment of darkness where I was like, oh my gosh, documentary filmmaking is a rich kid's game. And then I like waited for his reply. If you put enough time into it, you're going to, the result is going to be something, you know, and you're, uh, you're going to be able to eventually play your instrument. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you're listening to Love Main Radio, show number 217, Creative Duos, airing for the first time on Sunday, November 15, 2015. Collaboration can be a magical thing. Working with others, especially on a one-on-one basis, can lead to creative advancement that we might not see when working solo. Today, we speak with documentary filmmakers Christoph Gelfand and Carolyn Losnick, and singer-songwriters Anna Lombard and Dave Gutter about their experiences as creative duos. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. It's always funny to have people with me in the studio who kind of do somewhat like the things that we're doing here. And um, these two individuals are, are, they, I think that they, I, I, I resonate with them. We have Christoph Gelfand and Caroline Losnick. Caroline is a documentarian, radio producer, and experimental installation artist. It's the radio producer, by the way, that I'm that I'm resonating with, having never installed anything, so I can't claim that. She seeks off-the-radar venues for her documentary work, from buildings slated for demolition, public parks, and flooded city streets to empty campgrounds. Caroline is an independent radio producer, and her work is featured on Maine Public Radio, NPR, Marketplace, and WMPG Community Radio. Her new film appears in the New York Times Op Doc series. And there's many more things on this list. We'll, we'll talk about some more of them as we go along. Also, we have with us Christoph Gelfand, who is an award-winning director, writer, and video artist. He was trained on celluloid at the State University of New York at Purchase, where he learned the importance of each frame. His short documentary, Chasing Buckner, portrayed the rise and fall of infamous baseball goat Bill Buckner and received praise from ESPN, the Boston Globe, and New Hampshire Public Radio. His short documentary film has received national acclaim and was profiled extensively in HD Video Pro magazine. He shares this newest short film, which was featured in the New York Times Op Doc series with Caroline. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Now, Caroline, I only read half of what you sent me because you actually have really other really interesting things that you've been doing. 
I love that you guys are kind of in search of the story. Not only in search of the story, but like the best way to put it out there. And you're doing it in lots of different ways. You're doing radio, you're doing art. Um, how did this come to be what you both decided you wanted to do? You're both pointing at each other now, so one of you is going to go first. Uh, as a unit or as uh, or individually? Well, would you... Christoph, let's start with you. Um, I... Uh, knew i guess i guess i would say both by my natural inclination to um capture imagery and by process of elimination that i couldn't be in an office of any sort so i knew that i had to find something that could both support me and occupy me um um artistically that that was uh something more fulfilling so I think I naturally kind of wandered into walking around with a VHS camera and then evolving into more complicated machinery and and kind of um, recognizing how amazing uh, documentary storytelling can be. And how about you, Caroline? Mm, um, yeah, similar to Christoph, I guess. Um, I maybe by default, but maybe not. Um, I feel like I have. I don't know what's on that list. I can't remember what I submitted as sort of my bio because it's a long and complicated bio and that I've had jobs of every sort and every type, like a lot of different people in Maine, I think, do. Um, like everything from carpentry and renovation to, you know, radio producing. Um, so I think in my mind, I always suspected I wanted to be doing something with documentary storytelling but I wasn't sure on the direct path to get there. Um, so I feel like I've done a, you know, a lot of different jobs, but within those jobs, I've always sort of been drawn to like the stories of the people who are in them. Um, so whether it's like the person's house I was working on when I was working as part of a carpet, you know, a carpentry crew, um, or, you know, you could probably say for any job I've had, I've, been sort of drawn to the stories and then maybe I was a little scared to sort of start doing it for a long time so I was just sort of like gathering like you know ideas and um, themes and you know approaches while I was doing all these other things so sort of by default maybe. <laughs> One thing I think that's funny is that there is a meta aspect to our collaboration in that as much as we like other people's stories we also look at each other's stories and so our own you know, personal life and sort of daily stories kind of weave into our collaboration, I feel like. Definitely. Well, what is it about Caroline that you find so interesting? Um, well, this is funny because we did, um, we recently did another interview and um, we were kind of workshopping ideas on how we were going to formulate how, what our, how our partnership evolved. And, um, we both lost uh, fathers uh, in 2011, and uh, that was definitely a large part of kind of our um, finding uh, common ground and kind of understanding that sense of um, of loss and and kind of what uh, our parents meant to us and and their their sort of value to our creative nature and. Um, 
Yeah, I th- we both met um, through a mutual friend, and I think Christoph had an early idea of something that we could work on together, which was also about the fisheries um, in Maine, about elver fishermen. And uh, but the ho- the first time we met. Um, we went out and instead of really talking about the ideas we were going to have, we ended up having a conversation that was mostly about the loss of our dads. And it sort of immediately, I think, built trust between us and sort of established this common ground of like, we sort of understood each other through that somehow. And um, I think it sort of, yeah, it just built this relationship of trust and sort of common understanding that allowed us to quickly be able to work together because that's not always the case you know as working with other people on projects there's a lot of personalities and you don't really have time to sort of um, bring your personal life into work and a lot of times it's actually discouraged but I think we found a way to sort of embrace our his like our our um, experiences and history and common um, you know like life things as, as part of our work and we sort of found a way to weave it into our work and I think or I hope or we hope <laughs> that it comes through in our projects I guess like so maybe there are elements about our dad actually in the movie that we made and some things that we were working out in it that you wouldn't necessarily know if you didn't know us but I think maybe once you spend some time talking to Christoph you might find that there's things that he was going through in his life at the time that he was able to you know get out in the movie making process in the process of making a movie about somebody else well tell me about that give me some examples Mm. um caroline uh sort of uh alerted me to one um that i I guess i hadn't even realized in in the 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 subject of our film uh james sewell uh spent a lot of time uh, he describes spending uh 16 years uh attempting to have a baby um and uh, my wife and I spent some time, uh, a, a good deal of time, uh, trying to have a baby and finally have uh, eight weeks ago. And um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, finding that, that piece of, of James kind of, um, I guess having Caroline tell me that, that's, that that was probably why I put it in, it kind of made sense. That it definitely resonated for me. Um, it doesn't necessarily attach to my, my father, but it's, it's definitely a very personal element that kind of related to uh, James's story. Um, and um, uh, it was, you know, it's kind of uh, serendipitous when, when those two worlds can collide, the personal and the, and the creative. And, and, um, and that brings obviously a greater meaning to the story and, and, and our connection with our subject. Um. Yeah, like, uh, can I talk about that a little more? Okay, so he, we were sort of, for a, for a very short film, we spent so much time in the editing room, and, you know, we worked with the New York Times editors on the version that appeared on, as part of the Opdoc series, and so we were revising, and it was right around the time, you know, Christoph's due date, the due date for the baby was coming up, and we had a lot of um, audio of James Sewell, the subject of the film, that we had left out and sort of decided that it wasn't, it didn't have a place in this film. And at one point, Christoph just casually kind of hauled in the line about me and my wife had tried to have kids for 16 years. And he's like, who would try to have kids for 16 years? And he's, and I'm like, you? 
you know, maybe not that long, but, and I was, it was just this moment of sort of casual, Christoph did it casually, but then later I, it sort of came to me that he was, you know, he, here he was with, he and his wife were about to have a baby. And I think there were, I wouldn't say it was like pressures, but just like the sense of unknown, what's going to happen. And I think it was really nice that he put it back in there because I probably wouldn't have. And yet it made the character James be really like this more complicated person, which is something we always really wanted to have happen in this short movie. Um, so I wanted to say that. Oh, and then I'll, one other thing I wanted to say about that was we just got back from the Camden Film Festival. And as part of the film festival, there's a, um, something called the Points North Forum, where the documentary filmmakers or people from the documentary world, you know, attend different workshops. And and one of the um, workshops, there was an editor who, I don't remember her name, Andrea, somebody. Mitchell. Andrea but somebody said basically, um, you know, if, if there's something in the movie that you care about, make sure that it's in there in some way. And your job is to see if you can make it translate to the audience. And it was like the simplest way of saying what I think I'm trying to say. It's like, you know, if there's something that you really care about, if you're a good, if you're a good filmmaker or a good storyteller, you'll find a way t- to make that translate to, a, to the audience and then they'll care about it too. So I think... Hopefully that's what happened in our movie. Well, it's interesting as you're talking. Um, so even though you're talking about this next generation, you're talking about your own child, um, it does have something to do with your father's because it's you're talking about creation and recreation and sort of the next, the next iteration of self. So there's something about that, whether it, I don't know, whether you are consciously considering it or not, that, that still appears. Yeah, I'm. I um, I haven't taken the time to go uh, that that uh, psychological into into the pr- that process. But I, the more I explore it, I'm sure um, you know uh, James's sort of duty to his family and my sort of taking on a fatherhood role and um, uh, certainly. Um, you know all of these aspects of of uh, responsibility and and duty certainly come into play. Um, and um, uh, considering what he's gone through in his life, um, uh, I think that's certainly an inspiration to those of us that that are in similar uh, positions of of family and such. Well, it is quite something. He he is not um, so he's a scallop diver, Skylop Fisherman, and he actually lost an arm in a snowmobile accident. So when I think about how hard it is, just start with being a scallop diver or start with being somebody who's lost an arm. And then you're trying to combine those things. And then you're trying to, you know, support a family or exist in the world in general. I mean, you've kind of got a lot, it's, you got a lot of stuff to move in order to keep your life flowing forward. Mm. Yeah, and um, he's not only a scallop diver, he is, right now he's diving for urchins, and he fishes for tuna also, so he's, his world is constantly filled with these jobs that I would say are, like, dangerous and risky, Um, and, yeah, I think he, 
what really what really struck me about him was his ability to move on but also not like he sort of it's like he he sort of embraces these challenges without without fixating on them but he still acknowledges them and so it's like his whole life isn't about you know having doing these things with one arm is and he sort of downplays it you know in a way he's you know he doesn't ever really talk too much about like what it what it is but um um so while we were in the process of making the movie Christoph and I talked a lot about um how we wanted to portray him in the best way and we were we struggled with the opening because it felt like we didn't want to set it up as a movie about somebody who lost their arm like we just never wanted it to be simplified like that because we knew he wasn't a very simple person and we wanted to show the the challenge was to show in a very short amount of time that the times gave us you know five minutes basically um that there's this complicated person who in addition to losing an arm he also has these family responsibilities in addition to that he you know xyz fill in any number of things so it was an interesting it sort of made us think a lot about just how you how do you how do you not simplify people <laughs> in a short amount of time you know That's, and it is interesting as you're talking i'm thinking about um the articles that we do that are wellness articles the ones that i write for main magazine and i get 1200 words i get 1200 1200 words to you know essentially kind of distill somebody's story wellness concept um down and that's an interesting, it's kind of like five minutes for a life. Yeah. And, but that's the world that we live in these days. You know, that you can do longer form things, but there is a huge demand for the, sh- the short form. Yeah, certainly um, something that I feel like I somewhat, I, I don't want to paint myself like Raymond Carver, but I seem to only be able to make short things. So I think uh, our, our challenge uh, and um, is to make make longer things but um yeah i've i've not exceeded i think 22 minutes uh (laughs) in my filmmaking career so um certainly the short subject uh, affords you um a a sort of summary version of someone's life but it is challenging to fit in those key aspects that that really speak to them and and to you as a filmmaker Um, about about who who they really are and and what makes them tick because it's very hard to find that um, without you know having a Scorsese-esque voiceover that just kind of tells you the whole story in in five minutes. Yeah, I think it I think it had to do with um, even in a short film like the one about James Sewell, it's okay not to provide answers. We Christoph and I talked a lot about just we didn't want to feel the need to sort of close the book or like end the story in a way we wanted the ending to be an opening and so that was sort of a solution to not having to simplify or distill somebody down to like amputee dives for scallops you know as a way to sort of keep the themes broad and wide open so that lots of different people could relate you know most of us haven't lost an arm but there's a way in which you can tell that story where you can sort of feel you, all of us can probably feel what he felt like you know we didn't we didn't lose an arm 
we don't have we don't feel that way because we've lost an arm, but we've felt that way from maybe a loss of a parent or uh, you know a significant life change or something like that. So. Yeah, I, I would say that that um, if if you could describe sort of Caroline's mo in in a couple words, it would be more like create questions rather than answer questions, and I think that that's um, that there's in the pro- editing process of the film. There's a lot of turns where um, my natural inclination would be to kind of present this one way and she would say, well, what if we just leave it like this without saying too much and then let the audience challenge the audience uh, to, to, to create ideas themselves without, without us telling them. Well, it is interesting as you're, you know, I'm thinking back to how we started this conversation, which is how do you make a living from doing something that you love? So it's, it's kind of what you're talking about. You know, you're using available resources to mm-hmm. do what you're loving and you still need to make a living. Mm-hmm. You still need to pay your rent and take care of your new baby. And, you know, and this is what I guess in Maine where we're all kind of poking around in that everywhere we are but it's it's, you know we have to be more creative about it if we really want to do something different totally (laughs) yeah i mean i i i uh i myself make documentary work for hire uh and and that's kind of how i've found myself um uh i i continue to do it both personally and professionally and um uh but yes, it is. It is certainly a challenge to find that balance of what uh, you are driven to make yourself and what you're hired to make. And um, I think uh, what kind of opened my eyes is um, the uh, my prior film uh, Farm uh, had received a lot of attention, and and it, it, it drew me to the fact that. Of all the things that I have, you know, out there and in, in to the public eye, that that was one of the pieces that people were drawn to the most, um, as opposed to the the pieces for hire. And um, it 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 awakened me to the idea that that making my own work could lead back into uh, different types of of work for hire. So um, I think that there is. Um, a sort of convergence somewhere, and I, I, I'm still still looking for it. But um, and and Maine is certainly um, challenging in terms of its uh, economic climate to necessarily solely exist as a filmmaker mm. uh, or as an artist. I'd say this could be its whole. Uh, it's an entire episode on its own. But uh, yeah, I think. Um, just this week I texted Christoph in a sort of moment of darkness where I was like, oh my gosh, documentary filmmaking is a rich kid's game. And then I like waited for his reply. (laughs) Um, And I think what you said about, um, you know, in Maine in particular, uh, the economy is such that I feel like most people I know who are, who identify or self-identify as artists or you know, creatives of some sort hold down multiple jobs and um, myself included. I mean, I, when I leave here today, I'll probably scrape paint on the side of a house and, um, uh, 
and hopefully, the, I mean, I think the challenge is sort of to like find the what you said is about finding the balance of what sustains you creatively, emotionally, and physically and financially, and um, but still continuing to keep your eye on sort of the passion that you have or you know. And so for Christoph and I, I think it's nice that we found this creative partnership because we push each other to sort of stay, we're accountable to each other and we sort of push each other to stay focused on sort of, I think it's the passion. It's like the things that we want to make or the documentary films we want to pursue or the projects, whether we work on them together, it's nice to have a sounding board and somebody you trust and um, who has sort of the background to know, you know, to keep you sort of on it. So like in my dark days, I might send him a text like documentary filmmaking, filmmaking's a rich kid's game and he'll he'll sort of support me with a nice text back or a ridiculous comment that makes me laugh. And I think hopefully I do the same thing for you. But. Yeah, I mean, so. I, I was going to say, if, if we had an office in the, in the same, if we had a combined office, it would have uh, one of those sort of police forensic uh, pin boards with all these strings tied to different stories, um, you know, sort of until it was kind of one um, giant knot of strings um and that is kind of if left to our own devices um and uh if we uh uh had the means to constantly do this and not worry about our own uh uh, families or households or income then i think we would just be weaving that ball of yarn (laughs) deeper and deeper (laughs) (laughs) so sometimes it's good to be balanced by reality it is. It yeah. is. I think that um, we do. I think we would be remiss in not recognizing our partners in the process because I, I feel like it's very hard to um, to let someone like just delve into their own private passion and world. And, and um, of course, they are involved in their own ways. But, uh, you know, uh, with the Elver Project, Caroline and I were out till three or four in the morning uh, on the Presumpscot. Um, and uh, with this project, you know, we were up at three in the morning heading heading down east to get on a fishing boat where we didn't know where we were going to end up or when we were getting back. So I think I think there's a lot of patience and, and understanding that comes with that and, and mm-hmm. sort of allowing us to be weird. <laughs> How can people find out about the short film that you did that's now in the OpDocs um, New York Times lineup and also the additional work that you're doing? Hmm. So uh, the OpDoc uh, entitled Diving for Scallops is obviously still uh, up on the Times site. uh, And uh, a longer version uh, called Diver, uh, which played the Newburyport Film Festival and uh, in a couple weeks the New Hampshire Film Festival and hopefully some other film festivals down the road um, is uh, still will still be uh, available to watch and hopefully online in some presence or another. And then um, my site is uh, truelifemedia.com. And uh, Caroline? My personal site is uh, carolinelosnick.com. So you could, yeah, you could... S- yeah, we, we also, um, I think, uh, 
uh, are we have a, a couple different projects uh, coming up also kind of regionally based that um, uh, I don't think we're, we're ready to publicize until we know exactly more what they're what they're going to be about but I, I'd say um, certainly um, uh, you can also follow us at, at True Life Media and uh, at Caroline Losneck on Twitter. Yeah, we're know. prolific Twitterers, tweeters. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. So we're leaving people with an assignment. Go find what you've already done and also a mysterious sort of prologue to what might happen in the future. So we're getting people all interested. We've been speaking with Christoph Gelfand, an award-winning director, writer, and video artist, and also Caroline Losnick, who is a documentarian, radio producer, and experimental installation artist. I look forward to seeing what the future holds for both of you, and um, thank you for the work that you do and for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. It's been nice to chat. Thank you. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Mary Libby of Remax by the Bay, whose 15 years of experience and unique perspective on the industry puts creativity and enjoyment into house hunting. Specializing in properties in southern Maine, Mary will work with you to get to know your wants, desires, and dreams, and make sure that the home you move into is as close to perfect as it gets. And she'll make sure you have fun along the way. Because while moving is one of the more stressful events you'll encounter, finding the right home doesn't have to be. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in southern Maine, be in touch with Mary and find out more about why, when it comes to buying and selling real estate, a good time really can be had by all. Mary Libby of Remax by the Bay. Your connection to living right. Go to marylibby.com for more information. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough, and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaME.com for more information. Here in Portland, we're really quite fortunate that we have a vibrant musical scene and that individuals who have been working in the business tend to um, create new creative uh, collaborations over time with others who are in the industry as well. Today we have with us Dave Gutter and Anna Lombard. Dave is a singer, songwriter, composer, and performer from Portland. He is best known for his work as the frontman of indie rock groups such as Rustic Overtones and Paranoid Social Club. Anna Lombard is a local singer and performer. Her debut album, Head Full of Bells, is a powerful meditation on love, loss, and ultimately redemption. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. You've both been working um, in a group that you call, well, in a duet you call Armies. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start with a song here today. Dave, tell me about the song. Uh, This song is called Let It Burn, Um, and it's a song that I wrote um, about how, um, like, when, when, like, the beautiful things, like, uh, evoke, like, you know, almost like a melancholy or a sadness, like, um, embracing sadness rather than shunning it, especially in something like love, that there's, like, lots that you can learn from uh, that that low point, Um, and there's lots of... um, there's lots of feeling down there and that um, that's probably you know that you need to let yourself go to that so that you can uh, you know feel feel those you know 
deeper feelings and not be like, oh, I need to take Prozac. So, <laughs> you know, so I'm happy. I'm supposed to be happy and smiley. But I think that uh, those are more true emotions, the ones where you're like uh, unsure of yourself or you're, you're scared or you're, or you're even sad or whatever. I surrender I wave a white flag and surrender to you How hard must we It's 
enjoy having um, people in the studio, but it was especially wonderful to hear the harmonies that you created this morning. Mm-hmm. How long have you been working together? Mm-hmm. Just about a year, right? Yeah, it's almost a year. Yeah, we went into the studio um, like mid-December. Well, you had started it a long time ago, but we started working together um, mid-December or so of last year. So. When we think about collaborations, um, it, it's not always can't always count on two people being able to actually work together mm. just because you are musicians it doesn't necessarily mean that you can become a duet that you can really. sing together that you can create music together mm-hmm. so what is it that has been that has worked for you what is it about your partnership that you think um, enables you to create this music together I mean I know for me I- at first, when we first started, you know, working together, I was not immediately like convinced that it was going to work. Um, it wasn't until like we really spent time um, singing together and getting that comfortability, just the two of us, where I felt like it really struck a chord. Uh-huh, get it? Um, <laughs> no, but it was. It just became really easy, and I love singing with him like so much. Um, so I feel really lucky to be around that. And his beautiful voice is like uh, the Instagram filter to my my <laughs> voice. It just you know it kind of just smooths out everything on the top and makes me feel better about it. So no, I think that we we worked really well together and we we put this album together really really quickly. Um, and I think it's just a matter of being able to say when something sucks and just just being like 
no, let's move on and let's keep working. And, you know, it's a really d a diligent process, but um, it's fun. And I think the ideas that you, you throw out are the most important ones. And, and her and I are both really willing to, to sacrifice our egos and all that to, to get the record to be the best it could be. Mm-hmm. Why armies? Why do you call your collaboration armies? Um, well, I liked I liked the name uh, because it, it insinuated like lots of people fighting <laughs> um, for something. But um, uh, my ex <laughs> my ex's name is Ami, and uh, um, we had kind of a rough relationship. And every time uh, you know my friends would be like, "Why doesn't Dave hang out anymore, man? We never see him." And they were like, "Oh, he joined the Ami." <laughs> and that was like the joke for a while. So uh, I made like the title track that, that says like, you know, like we're like armies, we fight like armies, um, which is kind of like a, a play on words for that. But I, I also like the connotation of it. It has like this uh, strength in numbers kind of thing. And, and it's kind of like it compares like heartbreak to war, right? Yeah, exactly. Both of you grew up in the Portland area. Mm -hmm. Anna, you're from Cape Elizabeth. Dave, you were born in Portland but went to Gorham High School. Mm -hmm. Tell me about um, being a part of this music scene for so many years. Do you want to take that? Well, um, I would like to address that in Gorham High School. When I went to high school, um, there wasn't this footloose scandal that's happening now where kids can't dance because they're twerking too much <laughs> i was just bouncing all over the dance floor with you know you could jiggle anything you wanted back then <laughs> but now um you know things have changed and uh you know i've been playing music for a long time and um i don't know i i think that i feel i feel really proud of myself being able to keep my head above water as a musician in, in this scene, um, this is a very um, um, uh, competitive. Well, it's not even competitive. There's like this camaraderie and there's this uh, upping the ante thing that all musicians around here do, that uh, like just keeps it like really fresh and and you know we're not really concerned with uh, if you know some huge you know, record label likes it or not. We just want to, like, play it for our friends and, and have a beer and, and have our musical cohorts, like, you know, approve and, you know, evolve the music scene. And that's the way it's always been. And ever since I've I've been playing in this scene, people have always been, been pushing it and um, not fixated on success, but fixated on making good music. So that's, you know, my experience in being in this scene for so long has just been, um, you know, really proud. I mean, just think of how many restaurants and, and bars and, and businesses that you see not being able to stay above water. So the musicians in this town that have been working hard for years, um, you know, and not, not the easiest music scene, not the music, easiest music industry, um, I have a lot of respect for all those people. Yeah, definitely. I feel the same way. I think that... Um, the part about it that I love the most is probably that I have so many friends who are in the scene. So it's it's kind of like, you know, you're learning and you're growing and you're evolving surrounded by your friends, which is really special. Um, but um, like Dave said, just the, the supportiveness of, of everybody kind of, you know, everyone wanting everyone else to do well and 
um, pushing the envelope and not really just being satisfied with where you're at, but it's kind of funny that, you know, a small town city, I guess, like Portland has that wealth of, of talent and um, music and art. Between the two of you, you have three daughters. You have two, Anna, mm-hmm. not not with Dave, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Dave has his own nine-year-old. Yes. You have a five-year-old and mm-hmm. a one-year-old. Mm-hmm. Do you feel as though um, you've been able to raise them musically? I mean, I'm still in the early stages of that, you know, because Hazel's five and June's one. But um, I think the most important part um, as a mother for me is to is for them to see their mom doing what she really loves to do and kind of you know not not just being defined as a mother but also kind of incorporating um um how i raise them and and what i what i love into um just like that enriching their lives and them being able to be a part of that um is really important to me so um yeah i'm i'm the the band dad that's like calling like you know like some pub in like massachusetts and saying like hey i'm with a band is it cool if i bring a nine-year-old to your uh tavern (laughs) you know and i always try to infuse her into the music scene um she has grown up like being in the studio with me um she's uh my daughter connie's a co-writer um on the new aaron neville record that i just i wrote a record with aaron and she attended one of the sessions and we were like stumped on a lyric and she like just got up from bed and wandered down to the studio and like rubbing her eyes and it was like well why don't you just say this and then it was like this beautiful simple thing um so like i you know i immerse her in any form of creativity and art uh anytime i can um yeah this is all i do for a job so you know, my apartment's always cluttered with musical instruments and we paint on the walls and, um, <laughs> you know, have food fights and it's, you know, very fun and laid back. She also plays the cello. She does. She just began playing the cello, but uh, she seems to love it. Each of you also has, um, in addition to being vocalist, each of you has a background as straight up musicians with musical instruments. I don't know how to say that because, you know, but Anna, yeah. you play I the piano. Far and more than than I do. I mean, I take, took piano lessons when I was very young, started with vocal lessons for um, about four or five years. And then, you know, I grew up playing the baritone tuba and the trumpet and the French horn, but I haven't played any of those instruments in so long. Um, certainly not as well versed as as this guy. But. She'll act humble and then she'll like sit down at the piano and drop some Beethoven on you. It's crazy. <laughs> <Beethoven>. <laughs> no, it's true. She she has. Uh, I I would say that that's your only weakness is your your humbleness. Well, it's a good weakness to have. <laughs> it's good to be humble. Could be worse. And Dave, what types of instruments do you? Um, like to I'm play? very much like a you know. A, a listening player. I don't read music, um, but I just like to sit down and bang around on any instrument. And um, he's an incredible guitarist. Like I didn't even realize the level of his playing until we started playing together last year. I mean, I'd been to rustic shows and paranoid shows and known him, but his playing is absolutely insane. 
Thanks. So, and it's incredible to think that so much of that is just from like self-taught and doing it by ear. You know what I mean? That's wild. So how did that come to be? I mean, this is, there are some people who sign their kids up for lessons and it's a pretty, it's a little bit more straightforward. Mm -hmm. If you're a kid who sits down with a guitar and just picks out chords and he educates yourself. He was telling me on the way to the studio last night how his parents would walk into his bedroom when he was a kid and his fingers would be like bleeding and like yeah, all like busted up. and they'd be Frothing like, oh. at the mouth. <laughs> no, really, what I really owe uh, it to is I was an only child and my mom, um, you know, unfortunately was, was very ill as when I was growing up. So she was constantly at doctor's appointments and um, I was like, I got a guitar and, and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna chill in the car while you're in there and I'm gonna play my guitar. And because of this, you know, it was so frequent that I was in this position, just kind of killing time and waiting. I taught myself how to play the guitar and, um, and I just kind of dragged it around with me everywhere I went. Um, so, you know, it was like, you know, one of my, my first friends as a, as a young child. And when did you start writing music? Right away, I I couldn't, I didn't know how to go about learning a song of somebody else's. Um, so I would just, you know, I just, the first thing I really played was just me making up songs on the guitar. Um, and I used, I used to think I was terrible because I couldn't, you know, I could, I could write a song, but I couldn't play, um, you know, a Motley Crue song, you know, and I was really bummed out about that. <laughs> I've gotten over that. <laughs> I'm interested because I'm thinking about the way that we're, the way that we learn, the way that we're taught, and it's often divided out into you know, people who are more verbal or people who are more spatial or people who are more kinesthetic. And then, mm -hmm. then musical is lumped into one enormous category, but what you're describing is you are learning in a very different way musically than perhaps somebody who is a classical pianist learns yeah very much so, so it's not really that there is a musical way of learning there are probably many ways of learning yeah, yeah absolutely well it's, it's a discipline and if you put time no matter in what direction or what uh you know mode you're in or, or what your background is if you put enough time into it you're gonna the result is going to be something you know and you're uh, you're going to be able to eventually play your instrument but um you know, I, I think the people that are unorthodox about their approach to their instrument um, tend to be more creative. The people that don't have, like, well, well, A doesn't go with E flat minor, whatever. You know, like all those things. I think are what can kind of kills music or keeps it in a box. It's when you're like, this is, you know, totally wrong. You're not supposed to do this, but I like it. You know, so mm -hmm. um, I think that's where you get creative musicians when you have, you know, piano players that turn keyboard players or, uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, guitar players, you know, just like when you, when you take someone out of their comfort zone and you put them on an instrument they're not familiar with, it's, um, it's a whole new thing. It's like, the, you know, the exploration of like a, a child playing or making up something. It's, it's not, um, there's no parameters. Hmm. Anna, your primary instrument is your voice. Absolutely, yeah. And as you mentioned, you began with vocal lessons when you were very young. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting, 
it's an interesting idea that, that this is a this is something not unlike a tuba or a piano or a mm. guitar that you continue to train and practice with and explore and mm-hmm. be creative with because I'm not sure that any of us um, I'm not sure that everybody thinks about the voice that way right yeah I mean <clears throat> when I listen to you know recordings from even 10 years ago uh, recordings from after my first child I mean my voice has changed so much in the course of that time um, I think what is um, important for people to know I guess is that it it is very much like an instrument that continues to grow and that you have to work on and you know but there are so many elements that affect it um, much like an instrument you know cold weather you know um, being sick but um, yeah I mean so much of what you know it's funny the way that Dave has has expressed that he learned and taught himself yes I was classically trained as a vocalist but um it wasn't until I was beyond that training when I was younger where I really kind of began to come into my voice and um, find it, and it changed dramatically from there on, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I also think about the the intersection of voices and, and the harmonies. I mean, not unlike the intersection of um, instrumentation, mm-hmm. but to have two people who can harmonize really requires, whether it's using an instrument such as a piano or an instrument such as a voice requires really listening and not just listening but tuning in in kind of a different way to mm-hmm. that other person. Not everybody can do it, you know what I mean? It's like I think it's harder than people probably think um, for some people um, but um, I don't know yeah there is just there has to be a connection between two voices you know it's not something that can be forced um, and like I said before it's just really easy to do that with him um so it makes it fun <laughs> well, there's some songs where we kind of go around um like her voice and there's other songs that they're kind of built around my vocal part um so that it always changes if you could have heard us last night at like three in the morning like like when i talk about you know the the, the process of writing the songs and coming up with these harmonies is not flattering <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, i was listening to a recording on the way in here today and i was like oh god that needs to be deleted like immediately uh, yeah but i mean you have to do all that that you know it's it's kind of humiliating um if you're really going to get the good stuff you have to be able to just willing to you know do the musical equivalent of like you know, running down the street with your clothes off. <laughs> that's what it's like. Well, and that's true. I think about how many people have been on the show, and then I'll say, well, did you listen to the show, the radio show? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, no, I don't like to listen to my own voice. Mm-hmm. And here you guys are like, this is what you do. Yeah. You have to listen to I your mean, own that's voices. That's not to say that it's not extremely difficult to listen to your own voice sometimes, but um, yeah, you have to, to flesh out the ideas and get the song to a place where you're happy with it. What do you have coming up for your duet? So we're full band. So we do, we, we front the spit, we front armies, but we have drums and bass and, um, our DJ Mikey. Um, we've got some shows coming up, just working on booking through the winter and we're already starting to work on the next record too. This, that's going to keep us busy, but I want to play some shows. Yeah, we're just basically uh, we're trying to get as much content out there. You know, um, the the chemistry between us um, writing has been 
a really a really fun one and also a lot different than anything I've done musically and I think you too mm. so we're just trying to we we made an album and then we want to play a show and we're like oh we can only play an hour we want to play like all night <laughs> you know so <laughs> we've that's forced us to write songs so we have uh, a longer show and we can uh, you know be up on stage for more time and mm. and uh, you know give the audience more so that's what we're doing right now we're just stockpiling and we're like you know we're like chipmunks in the winter in Maine we just like <laughs> we're, we're stocking up on our nuts mm -hmm. <laughs> how can people listen to more of the work that you've been doing um, for me uh, the rest of the um, we are armies on Instagram but you can't listen you can see pictures of us on there yeah. uh, Facebook we have updates on like when our shows are and we have we just released a video with our friends OHX that you could check out on YouTube. It's called FMHU. Those are enough letters for you. O H X F M H U. Yeah. Well, I encourage people to do that. Um, it was quite wonderful to have you and to be able to bring the music into the morning. Certainly, having having singing and having a song in the radio studio is always just a treat, but you guys are in a special treat. We've been speaking with Dave Gutter, who is a singer, songwriter, composer, and performer from Portland. Also, Anna Lombard, who is a singer and performer, both of whom are part of the group Armies and um, have been part of many other important collaborations. Mm. Thank you for doing the work that you do. It definitely brings joy into the world. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for having us. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Mac Page an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. Mac Page, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com. You've been listening to Love Main Radio, show number 217, Creative Duos. Our guests have included Christoph Gelfand, Caroline Losnick, Anna Lombard, and Dave Gutter. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Main Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our creative duo show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love Main Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Mac Page, Mary Libby of Remax by the Bay, and Apothecary by Design. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kelly Chase. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Bellisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com.